Hello and welcome back to our devotions on the Psalms. Last week we were doing Psalm 37, 1 to 11. Today we shall continue with verse 12 to verse 24. But let me first recap. Last week we talked about fretting over evildoers and being envious of wrongdoers. Because often evildoers, the wrongdoers, take advantage of us and they seem to do so with impunity. Nothing bad happens to them. They take our things and they go off. And so often then we feel like, what if I'm like them? What if I exploit it rather than be the exploited? Wouldn't I be happier? And so the psalm tells us, first of all, do not fret when they do that to you. But instead of fret, um, focusing your minds on what they, what wrong they have done to you, turn it the other way and think about the Lord. Trust the Lord, befriend faithfulness, delight yourself in the Lord. Find joy in just talking to the Lord, becoming his friend, thinking about God. God will give you the desires of your heart, the real things, the things that are important to you. And then, this, these few steps. First of all then, commit to the Lord. Tell God your plans, your frustrations, your losses, your gains. But commit all your ways to the Lord. And then, because you have committed everything to the Lord, be still and wait patiently for God. Know that once you have trusted God, you have committed everything to God, then you can be still and wait. And then, because of that, you can refrain from anger and wrath. Because you know that God doesn't just let things go, that God vindicates, God takes revenge for you, God recompenses. Therefore, you need not be angry. You let God be the one who will be angry. Because in the end, God will avenge you against the evildoers. And when you wait upon the Lord, you will see God pour blessings upon you. Today we want to look at verse 12 to 24. Let's just pause now as we listen to what Psalm 12 and 24 says. Shall we pray? Father, as we read this word, we ask that you open our eyes to truths. Truths that often evade us. Truths that have shaped, will shape us against the falsehoods that have misshapen our lives and our thoughts. Teach us your truths. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 37 verse 12 The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and the heritage will remain forever. They are not to put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke they vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. 
The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me say, first of all, um, something something that you may notice as you read the Old Testament, and even as you read the New Testament, is that often the righteous and the poor are synonymous and they are interchangeable. Take, for example, verse 14. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. In poetry like this, it almost it seems as though the upright is associated with those who are poor and needy. As you look at the Bible, it seems that that is often the case, that God has a bias for the poor. But not only does God have a bias towards the poor, often he associates those who are poor to be righteous, likely because the, the righteous ones do not exploit others. They earn a living, and sometimes, so often, they are the ones exploited by the rich. On the other hand, there is also often an assumption that the rich are often the wicked ones. Now, in life, that is not always true. There are those who work hard, who are blessed by God, and they prosper because they are blessed by God. But in general, though, we need to realize how we make our wealth. Do we make our wealth at the expense of others? Sometimes even in investments, do we make that at the expense of the poor, of the helpless? You see, the thing is that God, let me give you an example. In James chapter 2, verse 5, Paul James says this, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor man, and not the rich ones who oppress you, the ones who drag you into court. Here there is often an assumption that the rich have the resources to exploit the poor, dragging them to courts, doing things that the poor cannot, cannot resist. Even, for example, the fires in Indonesia, it is often the rich corporations that take the money and the poor peasants and those who are helpless suffer the pollution and suffer loss and often even death. We see that in many countries, we see that often in life, that the poor ones are exploited by the rich. Ironically though, we often look in admiration at the rich. And this is not even a new first world problem. We look in the, once again, biblical times, times of James, where James begins by saying that when a rich man and a poor man come to your church, a rich man in verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and the poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, or you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Even in the days of James, it was often thought that the rich were to be more honoured than the poor, and the poor could be treated with contempt and despised. But in God's eyes, it's just the opposite. The poor are often seen as the ones who are rich in God's blessings in, in the things of the Spirit. And we must always bear that in mind, 
that the poor are often the ones who are filled with God's spirit, God's godly thoughts, godly hearts. I have worked both with the rich and the poor, and I've seen the poor being so generous with others, giving even to those who are poorer, giving to one another, sharing their things. One of the most, one of the most embarrassing and perhaps um, sad things was early in my time as a pastor. That was like almost thirty years ago when I was attending a pastor's retreat that was joined between Trek, Singapore, and Malaysia. And in, on one dining table, Singaporeans were talking of all things about um, shares being doing well, our currency becoming stronger. We were feeling proud that our currency was very strong. We were feeling proud that our standard of living was high. In the meantime, the Malaysians were talking about persecution in the church and fortitude and perseverance in the face of persecution. As I sat back and listened to both conversations, it occurred to me then that the Malaysian pastors were strong in their faith. They, Through their adversity, God was reaching out to them. While we were in danger, perhaps at that time at least, we were in danger of getting lost because of our strength of our currency, because of our pride, because of our prosperity. And we need to be very clear in our minds about this, that God protects the poor. And those who are rich and may be guilty of exploitation, whether directly or indirectly through business or through policies, we need to be very careful about how we gain our wealth. Our wealth must be gained because of the blessings of God and not because we have taken advantage of someone else. But now then, let's look at the power of the wicked. In verse 12, it says, The wicked plots against the righteous, gnashes his teeth at him. And then in verse 14, The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to, to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. These two verses tell us the power, these three verses tell us the power of the wicked. They plot, they plan, they have swords, they have power against others. They bring people to courts as well. They have all the resources and power to exploit the upright and the poor. And often it feels, the poor feel so helpless because they can't do anything. Those, the powers that be, take the, that, what it should have been theirs, and push them down. But God who is above all, looks down and he laughs. Verse 13, the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. What we learn from this is that life is very, very unpredictable. In book of James, letter of James, once again, James tells us the opposite of it. He, he says, don't boast about the future for you certainly do not know the future. And that's so true for both the exploiter and the exploited. Often as the exploited, as the poor, we look at the powers of the rich, the powers of the wicked, and we tremble because we see no way out. We see that the hands are coming upon us, upon you, the, the lawsuits or whatever else is being used to bully you, and you cannot see your way out. But God can see. And what nobody can see is seen by God, the future itself. 
And God sees and knows that the life of the wicked, the days of the wicked are numbered, and that God will prevail, and He will protect the poor. That's one of the reasons why, though we be exploited, though people take advantage of us, that we need not fall into wrath and anger, but we can learn to entrust our lives to God. Then, verse 15 says, Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Basically, the plans will backfire. It will boomerang and come back and hit them. This is one of the principles, basic principles of life. As Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. If we were to fight, if we were to use evil to hit others, eventually we will receive the evil that we have used against others. And then, the psalmist goes on, that life as a righteous person is better even if one is poor. In verse 16, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Just because we do not have as much, just because we do not live in luxury, does not mean that our lives will be more miserable. Because God's on your side, and God watches over you, and it's better even when you're poorer. And then it goes on, The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and the heritage will remain forever. They're not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. What the, what the psalmist is saying then is that not only will the poor survive, but their legacy, the legacy of goodness, the legacy of uprightness will continue even after their time. The heritage will remain forever. I've done in my life, in my time as a pastor, I've done many, many funerals. And I know that to be true because at the funeral itself, what do we think about the person? Do we think, what when we talk about legacy, often at the funeral I'll talk about, think of what legacy this person has left for the others. In material terms, when we often think of a legacy as money. So what have I inherited from this rich person? What have I, what have I inherited from that person? in terms of money and assets. But at the funeral, we don't think about that. Sure, in the back of our minds, we are right after their money. But we often think then of what they have left in our hearts, the lessons they have taught, the, the examples that they have set for us that will last forever. I've seen rich families that have fallen apart because all the children think about the legacy is how to tear the estate apart, how to take as much as they can from the deceased estate, how to enrich themselves. And after a while, they too get poor because they would squander the money. But the legacy of love, the legacy of righteousness, legacy of faithfulness will pass from generation to generation to generation. Children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren will learn from the example, from the lives of those who have led, who have lived in godly fear. God knows the days of the blameless. The heritage will remain forever. And then, in verse 21, it says, The wicked borrows but does not pay back, 
but the righteous is generous and gives. Now this probably has two meanings. First is that um, the wicked will always be taking money and not care for others. The righteous, whether rich or poor, will be generous and gives. But I've seen both. I've seen the wicked, who you know, um, the the generous, and the, even the righteous and the poor, give and give and still have enough. Sometimes I look at the way they give and I wonder how how do they live. And often it is just God allowing them, giving them the the ability to give and to give and never lack. When I was working in prison, once again, I we used to talk to um, prisoners who had reformed. One of them told me this, that before he went to prison, he was earning something like $20,000 a month selling drugs. But at the end of each month, he was always in debt. But now that he had become a Christian, he was drawing something like $2,000, or was it less than that, $1,008 a month to start with. And yet, over time, he had bought a flat for himself, he had gotten married, he was, his wife was pregnant, and he was feeling secure on a small salary. And he asked me, how does this happen? Well, the reality is that when he was earning $20,000 a month, first of all, he was squandering his money and never saved a cent. And then, of course, people took from him and all sorts of things. But when he was changed and he earned a little bit, he stopped drinking, <coughs> he stopped going to massage parlors, he stopped smoking. He found that living a simple life allowed him to save whatever little he had, enough to even buy a house for him, a flat for himself. Those who follow God eventually will be blessed by God will find that they have enough. And then finally, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Steps of a man are established by the Lord. Basically, God has plans for each one of us. If we were to tell God, God, my life is in your hands, guide my steps day by day, order my steps day by day, then God will make our steps right and order the way he wants them to. But we will fall. We will fall because there are times when we cannot have the faith to follow him. We will fall because often we, do not we cannot resist temptation. And yet when our call, when the heart is given to God, we will not, even if we fall, God will hold our hand. You see, none of us is perfect. Each of us will make terrible mistakes in our lives. The reality, though, is that just because we sin, just because we make mistakes, does not mean that that's the end of our lives. Because when we, from the depths of our hearts, tell God, I want to follow you nonetheless, then God will order our lives and our steps. Even when we fall, He will hold our hand and lift us up. That is the assurance that God gives to us. So while we need not be totally vigilant and say everything I must do right, I'm afraid that if I do wrong, God will punish me, God will not do that. But what it's important is that we make that a general principle when we say, God, I need you. I know that you order my steps. And please order my steps and give me the strength to follow you. When we have done that from our hearts, that even when we sin, 
even when we deviate, we know that God holds our hand and we are safe. Shall we pray? Father, teach us to live our lives in an upright manner, compassionate to the poor, refusing to exploit others, trying to live, submitting ourselves to you, to live as you would guide us. Because God, we know that regardless of how rich we are, how we have enriched ourselves, you're nothing before you. But rather, Lord, when we live our lives that fear you, that love you, and have compassion for others, we leave a legacy that is so different. We leave a legacy for our family members, for our children and our grandchildren, nephews and nieces, to those around us. We leave a legacy of love, of kindness, steadfastness that will last from generation to generation. So God, help us to live in the fear of you, in love for you, and not to envy the rich, not to envy those who earn the money in unrighteous ways. Help us then, Lord, to submit to you, allow you to guide our steps, and to prosper us in your time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in, and do have a wonderful week ahead. God bless you. Goodbye.